Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Deliver us from evil. It's the last petition of the Lord's Prayer, but how often is it the first petition, the first thing that we pray for? And something terrible happens to us, we pray, God, save me from this. Make it stop. When poverty, shame, or misfortune strikes, we pray, God, God, please restore my life. We pray even at times of inconvenience when we're stuck in traffic. God, make this traffic clear up. I need to get somewhere. 21 years ago, our country prayed it on this day when terrorists and evil struck on 9-11. Deliver us from evil. It's a petition so often heard in the Psalms. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. And so we should pray for this. It, It is good. God wants us to pray to him concerning all the things that affect our body and life. And and the petition, deliver us from evil, is also so much more than than that. It's a sum of everything that we pray for. It is truly to be delivered from all evil. And our text for today is, is perhaps a surprising place to find deliverance from evil, at least the kind we expect. Of course, the man who falls among robbers, who's stripped, beaten, and left for dead, is in need of deliverance. And we can imagine him praying on the side of the road, uh, that, that very thing as well. But there's a greater deliverance, and that's the point of this parable. It's a parable with something to teach. In this case, Jesus has something to teach the, the expert in the law, the lawyer, who comes to him and asks, what must he do to be saved? Jesus teaches him that he needs someone to deliver him to save him what he cannot do himself in order that he might inherit eternal life. The lawyer himself is dead, but he's unaware. He doesn't realize that he needs to be delivered. And of course, those who do not recognize their need for deliverance have the most difficult time of clinging to someone or, 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 or something or someone who can actually deliver and save them. So Jesus uses this parable to teach what we call the doctrine of justification. That is how we are made just or right before God. We must be delivered from an outside source, from an outsider who who owes us nothing and for whom we can never repay. But this is what the lawyer wants to do. And he thinks he can actually do it. Luke says he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asks him, What is written in the law? What do you read there? The man replies with a summary of the law that that every Jewish child would have known by heart. Uh, This is the, uh, the Old Testament catechism. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself the summary of the law. But so far, this is all very intellectual for the lawyer. The law is hypothetical. It doesn't actually mean anything. 
he can love God and love his neighbor without ever leaving his house. To put it in the modern day, the man could sit and watch Netflix all day or sit and drink coffee all day and in his mind still love God and love his neighbor. But Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this. You can't just think or feel love for God. You actually have to do it by loving your neighbor. So the man says, well, well who is my neighbor? And this is such a, such a, a, a clever thing to do. He's a lawyer, uh, right? It's a very lawyer-like thing to do. He's trying to redefine his neighbor. If he can redefine neighbor as someone he does love already, then it will be easy for him to actually love that person by doing what he's already been doing. So then Jesus tells the parable of a man who fell among robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. This is a man in need of deliverance. He's in the middle of nowhere with not many people traveling, passing by. He's on his last breath. Everything's been taken away from him. And, And all he has in this moment is his own shame and his own fear of what will happen to him. And it just so happens, Jesus says, that a priest comes by. Someone who should help him. But he passes by on the other side. He actually sees the man, and it actually says he scoots over to the other side of the road so that he what, he'll alleviate his conscience so that he won't have to help the man. Someone else will come by later and help him. Not my job. And then, then by chance, a Levite, another religious leader, comes by too, but he does the same thing as well. Now, in modern ears, the priests and the Levite who pass by on the other side seem like bigots. Practice what you preach, right? But the thing was, according to the law, they actually were. According to the ceremonial law, if they touched the man or helped the man, they would be rendered unclean and unfit for their service in the temple later that day, which they thought they were rendering to God. And Jesus is doing something so clever here. He's setting up a court case for the lawyer. He gives him an impossible scenario. Do these these two people, do they show their love for God by keeping the ceremonial law, or do they show their love for God by helping their neighbor? Either way, they will be breaking the law. Loving God is easy if you don't have to get off your couch, if you don't have to worry about your neighbor. Intellectually, as long as loving God and loving your neighbor is an an abstraction, well, it's easy to do. But Jesus shows the way that you love God is by actually doing, by actually loving your neighbor. And your neighbor, Jesus shows, is anyone whom God places in your path. Now, our modern society loves this parable because they want to boil Christianity down to, to moralism. We all shall be, but should, should be like the Good Samaritan. And so our, our society will understand neighbor as everyone. But see, what that does is make my neighbor an abstraction. And it leads, just like the lawyer, to self-justification and virtue signaling. But it's not true. My neighbor could be anyone but my neighbor is not everyone. So God is not calling you 
to give all of your life savings to help all the poor in Dane County. But God might be calling you to help someone poor whom he places in your path. Now, sometimes this will happen by chance, as it did in the parable, but usually this will depend on your vocation. The way to love God is to love those whom God places in your path, according to your vocation. So, think about this. Today is our kickoff for catechesis, Sunday school, Bible study. Uh, so, if your vocation is a, a parent, the way to love God is to love your, your child. Well, that may seem easy, but God gives specific ways that you must do this. You have to prepare them to watch out for evil and to know they need deliverance from it. Uh, for example, uh, my child might want to go surfing. But if I just send him out without any preparation, they could get hurt or die. There needs to be an intentional process if I'm going to prepare my kids uh, for the ocean. Or like, I can't put a two-year-old on a surfboard and say, have fun. They won't recognize how much danger they're in. And so my goal at first is, is to protect them, to keep them from evil. But my ultimate goal is to get them out on the ocean for them to learn how to surf. But for that to happen, they need to know how to handle different conditions. They, they, they need to be trained. Uh, there needs to be a passing on of knowledge, uh, knowledge of the ocean, not only uh, of what's on top of the water, but, but what's under the water, rip currents, rip tides, sharks, etc. Uh, it might look like a calm day on the surface, but under the water, the currents are, 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 are deadly. Now, to apply this, the devil uses the world to try to sink us and to sink us in our faith. And so if the culture is like the ocean, well, parts of it are, are very wonderful and beautiful like a tropical beach. But other parts of it are, are, are like the ocean where it's churning and, and there's rip currents and you get pounded by waves and die. And so you not only have to have the right preparation, you have to have the right knowledge and the right experience. This is what parents are to do as primary catechists, the primary catechists of their children, preparing them for the world by giving them knowledge of God's word, and not only intellectually, but also by enacting it, by doing it. And so if you're not doing this thinking that someone will come along after you, maybe the church, or that other things are more important, well, you're not actually loving God because you're not actually loving your neighbor, your child, in the way that you ought. And it's not just parents that have a vocation. The Bible gives the vocations of older men and older women who are beyond raising kids. The Bible tells older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and patient endurance. And not only for your own good, but, but for the good of those around you and under your care. Likewise, the Bible in Titus chapter 2 tells older women, train the younger women to love their husbands and love their children. And each of these things that God tells all of us to do is actually how God delivers us from every evil of body, soul, property, and honor. And God actually says, go and do this. Go and do it. Because loving him is not merely hypothetical. And so then maybe our resources, our time, our money, our energy go to doing these very things. 
and loving these very people whom God has placed in our path. But here we recognize, or we should recognize, our failure at loving God and loving our neighbor. It's easy to love God if I don't have to love my neighbor. And so I too need someone to deliver me. I cannot justify myself. And along comes a Samaritan, an enemy of the one on the side of the road, a man with no obligation to help. And he gives everything. He doesn't glance and pass by. He goes to him. He bandages his wounds. He pours on oil and wine, giving the man expensive medical care. He puts him on his own animal, meaning the Samaritan man is now going to have to walk the rest of the way. And he takes him to an inn. He gives two denarii to the innkeeper, which is uh, more than two days' worth of wages. And then he basically writes a blank check to the innkeeper. Whatever more you will spend, I will repay you when I return. And he gives a promise that he's going to return. He pays for everyone in the inn. This Samaritan, this person who delivered you and me from evil, is Jesus. Like the Samaritan, Jesus gives everything to deliver us from evil. He gives his law that burns away our own self-righteousness like pouring wine on a cut, reminding us that we cannot save ourselves. But then he pours on the oil of the gospel to soothe and to cover our wounds. He lifts us up. He, He carries us on his own shoulders And he brings us to the inn, the inn of the Christian church. And in this Christian church, he entrusts us to an innkeeper, to a pastor, to take care of us for as long as our earthly journey shall last. And Jesus gives that innkeeper, that pastor, everything that he will need not only to provide for for one helpless person, but for everyone in that inn, including the innkeeper himself. Jesus gives his word, his promise. And not two denarii, but but two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which daily and richly forgive sins, deliver from death and the devil, and keep us in the one true faith. And he promises that he will come again to deliver us from all evil. And so again, we see a deliverance that is unexpected. The way that God will deliver us from all evil is finally by taking us out of the world. This world is cursed with sin. It's evil. And so the way that God delivers us from all evil is finally through death. God takes what we consider to be the the most evil death and he turns it for good for those who love him. This is what Christ has done on the cross. Jesus delivers me from evil by the evil of the cross itself. And so whenever we pray, deliver us from evil, we are praying to die. That God would give us a blessed death. That he would graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. And so we pray this petition as the sum of all. For if we are to be delivered from all evil, then God's name must first be hallowed in us. His kingdom must be preached to us. His will must be done for us. And our sins have to be 
forgiven to us. In other words, we must be justified. And that is exactly the deliverance that Jesus, our good Samaritan, has come to bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is known, ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.